Hey, what's up, South Point? My name's Kenny. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? How do you not represent when you have a game like that? Sorry, couldn't resist. Want to welcome those of you joining online, man. It's nice to have the kids in here. So happy to see everybody today. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Everybody ready for that pre-Christmas diet? I know I am. That was a rough one. Christmas is almost here. Maybe you're thinking about your wish list already. You've seen the, the, the pictures of stuff that kids were asking for about 600 years ago. Ouch. Mom and Dad, can I pretty please have a wood-shaped ball? I mean, do you honestly think that a, the hopes of getting a pair of homemade dice would make you a good kid all year long? <laughs> I don't think so. Aren't you glad that kids back then were not okay with good enough? I know I am. Benjamin Franklin once wrote, if better is possible, good is not enough. And in so many areas of our lives, we believe that. Except in like the most personal areas, right? In our marriages, in our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our kids, in our relationships with our friends, our finances. We have stopped believing that the better is possible and somehow we've been okay with good enough. All of my friends treat their parents this way. A lot of people don't have good relationships with their kids. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck, right? Others are overwhelmed and they're way too busy and they got no time left. But there is hope. And we learned during this series that better choices lead to less regret, which makes things what? Better. And if that's true, then that means better is not just possible, it's attainable. We can learn to make better choices. First, we have to develop a habit. It's a simple habit. It's a habit of pausing. Pause when you get yelled at. Pause when that thing goes on sale. Pause when your friends say, do this or do that. Pause before signing those papers. Pause before taking that drink. Pause before smoking whatever. Pause as you're walking through Cabela's and something's on sale. (laughs) Pause as you go through Alta and something's on sale. (laughs) Maybe instead of just reacting, we can learn to pause so that we can have a space for better. And a better word for better is what? Wisdom. So we begin by asking, what is the wise thing to do? And I can guarantee you it ain't the first thing that pops into my mind when something's going bad. Not always will it be the quickest and the easiest thing either. It's almost always never the most painless. It's almost never what everybody else is doing. But what is the wise thing to do, or what is the wise thing to say? And we're learning that God actually wants us to experience his wisdom, right? God's wisdom makes better possible. And if we begin to search for God's wisdom like buried treasure, guess what, we will find it. And when we find it, we have a really important choice to make. Are we willing to choose better? Finding it's not enough. Are you willing to choose better over what your heart or your head may be telling you to do? Will you be willing to choose better over what your friends are telling you to do? We have to choose better, not just search for it. If you missed any of these messages, man, I just encourage you to go back and check them out. You can listen to the podcast. You can watch any of them online. Please make sure you go back. Today, we're going to wrap up our pursuit of better. And I want to begin with one last nugget. It's a proverb. It says, my son, eat honey, for it is good. 
and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So maybe honey's not your thing, right? You can replace that with anything. Maybe you're a salty person, and by that I don't mean that you're a salty person. I mean you like salty stuff. Or certain potato chips. I don't know, salsa and chips. Maybe you're a sweets person. Maybe it's a brownie or chocolate or ice cream. See, wisdom is like that, isn't it? When you're in a bad mood and you've had a bad day, maybe you're super hungry. Your favorite food is not just delicious. It makes you feel better. The thought of it soothes you. The smell of it excites you. The experience of eating is, is, is more than just physical. It can be a, an emotional thing as well. See, wisdom is even better than that. And if you find it, not only will you experience less regret in the moment, but wisdom also lets you set up for the future. He says your hope will not be cut off. What we hope for and wisdom, they seem to go hand in hand. They seem to be connected, don't they? So what do you hope for more than anything? How would you finish these statements? I wish blank could be better. I wish blank could get better. If only blank could get better. I don't know, man. Maybe you and your parents are fighting. Maybe you and your spouse are fighting. Maybe your finances look absolutely horrible and you're struggling with that. Maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you just feel like you can't seem to get anything right. You have to realize that this is what you're experiencing right now. This is this chapter in your life. That's all it is. What if you could write the next chapter? What if you could write the next four chapters? What if you could write the end of the book, the last chapter? What story would you tell? What would be your preferred ending? What would be your ending to this fight, to this relationship, this part of your life or this bad decision? I mean, let's be honest. You might feel like things are never going to get better. But wisdom, wisdom seems to be able to make things better. And let's face it, a better future equals a better story. If I had to tell my story right now, it would be absolutely painful. But if this could be a different month, maybe a different year, maybe, maybe a different decade, now that's a story I'd love to tell. Kids, got kids in here, one day you're going to have a family of your own. What story do you want to tell as a parent? Parents, what story do you want to tell 10 years from now? Husbands and wives, what story do you want to be able to tell your kids? All the single men, all the single women that are in here today, what story do you want to be able to tell 10 years from now? And if you're struggling with an addiction, or you're struggling with a financial problem, or friendships, or careers, what story do you want to be able to tell? See, don't just resound yourself to what it is. It is what it is. Let's go after a better future so that we can tell a much better story. So see, I want to give you an overview of one of the most amazing individuals and some stories that demonstrate this in Scripture. It's about a guy by the name of Joseph. And it's found in a book of Genesis, chapters 35 through 45. Joseph was one of 12 boys. 
probably had some sisters as well. His dad had two wives and children from four different women, and all those lived in the same family. Talk about a blended family. I'm sure it was a mess. And maybe you can relate to that blended family. So this truly was a blended family. But Joseph was daddy's favorite. Not just in a joking way, he, he truly was dad's favorite. Dad really did like him the best, and he treated Joseph differently and better than everybody else. And one day, his brothers got so fed up that they sold Joseph into slavery, slavery literally. And he was 20-something at the time. Parents, got to make you look at your kids a little different. They ain't so bad, are they? So Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, and he ends up at this really powerful guy's house as a slave. And he does such a great job that he gets promoted to the head of the house, the entire household. So instead of resigning to it is what it is for the rest of his life, he tries to make the best of every situation, right? He tries to make it pay off. One problem. The wife of his master noticed that he was young and noticed that he was good looking and she tried to get with him several times. And after multiple attempts, he said this, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What do you notice there? Yes, he's in a rough situation, but did you notice his reason for saying no? How can I sin against God? You mean the same God that allowed you to be sold into slavery? See, Joseph still had hopes for a better future, even in a bad situation. He chose to do the wise thing. And if the story ended there, you'd be like, yeah, way to go, Joseph, nice job, bro. But the story doesn't end here. One day, the lady of the house, who wasn't a lady at all, grabbed a hold of Joseph's arm and tried to force, her, force him to be with her. And Joseph wiggled out, but she grabbed him so tight that she literally ripped off his loose clothing. The lady then lied and tells everyone, including her husband, that Joseph tried to force himself on her. And instead of Joseph getting a raise or getting a promotion for doing the right thing, he gets thrown into prison. And you'd think by now that Joseph would stop believing in this whole better thing. Obviously, God's got something against me, right? It just, it is what it is. Because I can't catch a break. But not Joseph. He becomes the model prisoner, right? And he gets placed in charge of all the rest of the prisoners. And after being in a prison for a while, a guy who worked directly with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was also thrown into prison. And Joseph helped him by interpreting one of his dreams. And he didn't ask for anything other than to speak to Pharaoh favorably about him if his dream came true. And it did, but guess what? The guy couldn't even remember Joseph's name. Two years go by. He's been in prison now for three years for doing the right thing. And what happens? Pharaoh has a dream. And no one in the land can interpret the dream. This guy finally remembers Joseph and told Pharaoh about him. 
Pharaoh brought Joseph out of prison and gave Joseph, and God gave Joseph the meaning of Pharaoh's dream. Not only was he released from prison, he became literally the second in command of all of Egypt. And if his story ended there, you'd be like, Joseph, way to go, man, way to represent, nice job. But it doesn't. See, Joseph had predicted that there would be extreme famine in seven years, and guess what? That happened. But because of Joseph's prediction, Egypt was prepared. They were ready for it. And people from all over the world began to come to Egypt to buy food, including Joseph's brothers. They came and they didn't even recognize Joseph. So after a series of events, he reveals himself to them as his brother. And of course, their first reaction was fear. I'm sure they were scared to death. Remember, they sold him into slavery. And I'm sure the first thought in their mind is, he's going to kill us. But I want you to listen to what Joseph told his brothers. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, Joseph knew that it wasn't his brothers that sent him to Egypt, it was God so that he could save his family through him. Yeah, he had every right to be bitter. He had every right to be mad. He had every right to be angry and had every right to punish them. But he didn't. Why? Because his hope wasn't in his circumstances. His hope was in God. Other people, they treated him poorly. They lied to him. They lied about him. They used him. They betrayed him. Joseph was able to make better choices even in the middle of every horrible circumstance he went through because he knew that a better future was possible. That's why our big idea is God offers a better future. See, even though it didn't seem like it at the moment, God was able to use every better choice that Joseph made to set him and his entire family up for a better future. I'm going to give you a modern version of this story. I know someone who grew up with an alcoholic father. As a kid, that just becomes normal life to you. You just kind of get used to living that way and you don't know any better. But when you get on your own and you get your own family, you start to realize how abnormal this was. And then you start to realize how much it truly affected you. And oftentimes you can see how your mood or your temperament was based on how your dad was doing. When he was seeking help, things were going good, hopeful and happy. But when he fails and he quits again, you get depressed. And this person mentioned it, how it makes them feel or think that maybe they could be that person to their family. Maybe they would do that to their family because they felt like their life was a mess. This person didn't do anything to deserve this. Nor did this person cause her dad to make these choices. Those choices were his choices. Yet those choices affected this person in a dramatic way. And the great thing for her is that somebody told her, this will never be your family's story. That will never be your future. And of course, she asked, how is this possible? How do you know that? But it's simple. Because of all the good choices she made in the last 10 years. See, this person got really involved in the church youth group. She began to read and study God's word. 
She was in a small group where she could be honest and she could be vulnerable. And people cared about her. And the next thing you know, she began to mentor younger students. And she chose to stay pure before marriage. She chose to date only Christian boys. She got into Christian counseling before marrying a Christian man. They decided that they would put God first and live that life out in a church where they were served. They sought God's word on what it truly meant to be godly parents and being devoted, raising godly kids. And now when she goes into this dark season of anxiety and depression, she may go through it for a couple of days, she may go through it for a couple of weeks without reading God's word or being connected into a small group or reaching out to other Christian women. When she gets angry or frustrated with her husband or her kids, she has a group of amazing Christians in her life that listen to her and give her sound wisdom. She has this support system and more important, the Holy Spirit is not let her fail. See, these are not things that she immediately thinks about when things go dark for her. These are all things that have been happening over the years and now because when, when, when these extreme things happen or these difficult seasons hit, she's benefiting from all those wise choices she made. And not just her wise choices, her mom's wise choice to take her to church every small group and every event she could. Her small group leader's choices for pouring into a young girl that was not biologically their own. Many godly men's good choices who poured into her and showed her what a godly man and a godly husband could look like. See, she wasn't thinking 10 years down the road when she was going to struggle and things were going to get bad and I'll have to rely on this, but she is benefiting from those good decisions now. And that would be very difficult for her to make a really unwise choice because she's developed this habit of making wise choices. And she's surrounded by godly people and a godly husband and godly women that love her and they won't let her make unwise choices. See, she knew all the bad choices that her and other people have made. We all do, man. I know all the bad choices that I've made. You know all the bad choices you've made the bad choices other people have made that have affected you. We all do. And we know how broken we are. And we know how torn we are. And we know how messed up we are because we're all a mess. Let's be honest, we've made such a mess of things. We can never be whole again. Seems like we can never find better. But in both these people's lives, God was able to take the brokenness, the shattered, ripped up pieces of their lives and make something beautiful out of it. You see, what Joseph and the young lady realized was that even in bad circumstances, God offers a better future. See, he and he alone can make better out of brokenness. We are choosing to make better choices now so that in a year from now, in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, in 25 years from now, we will be able to tell some pretty amazing stories. See, I want my kids and I want my grandkids and maybe even my great-grandkids to be able to tell some amazing stories as well because we choose to make better choices. But see, you don't have to do this alone. You can't do this alone. Jesus offers a better future. Listen to what he promised. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? There's an author and a former atheist by the name of C.S. Lewis who once wrote to a woman who was sick and dying. And she seemed to be wrestling with the, with the pain and the fear of death. And he wrote her this letter, and in this letter he said, Has the world been so kind to you that you should leave it with regret? There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. He believed what Jesus said. And if that were true, then he realized that no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances you're in, there are better things ahead than what we're going to leave behind. And not just a better hope for this life, not just a better hope for life on earth, but a better hope for a life internal. That's the ultimate better future, right? See, we need to understand that if Jesus didn't die for our sins, if he didn't die on the cross, if he didn't raise from the dead, then there's no hope. 1 Corinthians says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have no hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What legacy do you want to leave? See, your story's not over, man. What better future are you hoping for? What better future do you want to leave your kids? What better future are you preparing your kids for? In whom are you trusting? to find a better future? What are you trusting to lead you to a better future? You know one of the biggest lies ever told? You ever heard the phrase, tomorrow isn't guaranteed? That's a lie. Because tomorrow is guaranteed. Where you'll be is not. Are you trusting Jesus for that? Would you now choose to trust Jesus for a better future if you haven't? Choose to give Jesus not just all the brokenness, but ask him to forgive you. Ask him to help you create a better life. Man, we have made it so simple to do. All you've got to do is text your name to the number on the screen. Shoot an email to the number on the screen. Talk to one of the people that are going to be up front during this next song. And if that's you, please shoot a text, shoot an email, talk to people up front, do something. They're going to be here after the service as well. You can change your next few chapters. You can change the ending. They can help you get baptized. They can help you join the church. They can just pray with you if that's what you need. See, we're not meant to do this alone. Every single one of us is going through something. You need prayer? Come up and ask for it. But another step is simply to come back next week. We'll begin a brand new series called GOAT, and it's about Jesus, who is the greatest of all time. I just encourage you to bring somebody with you. So during these next few quiet moments, while the music plays, you're going to have a chance to respond to Jesus and decide whether you want a better future or not. It's up to you. You literally get to write your future. And if you've already made a commitment for Christ and that's not you, then take these next few moments, spend time in communion. Could have got it when you walked in today. There's still some in the back. The bread represents his body. 
His body that was given to us from day one, that was tortured, that was tormented in ways that we can't even fathom. The blood, juice represents the blood. That blood that was literally poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Don't take communion lightly. Think about it. Father God, thank you so much for loving us and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for every single person in here. God, I thank you for South Point and the lives that you've changed through them. I thank you for this community. I thank you for all the things that you do and all the things that you continue to do. Father God, I ask you to allow your Holy Spirit to fill this building. If there's no, somebody in here that is not saved, I ask you to be with them. Help them so that they can change their future. Help them so that they can rewrite the next few chapters. If there's somebody that needs to get baptized, if there's somebody that just needs prayer, Lord, please be with them so they can come forward. And get, we're not meant to do this alone. I know myself, I'm really hard-headed sometimes. I try to do things alone, but when you have other people there, it helps more than we can ever imagine. Father God, we just ask you to fill this room in Jesus.